Today's scripture reading comes from Ezekiel 1, uh, 1 through 28. In the thirtieth year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, I was with the exiles at the Kabar River when the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. It happened on the fifth day of the month in the fifth year after King Jehoiakim's deportation. The Lord's word burst in on the, on the priest Ezekiel, Buzi's son, in the land of Babylon at the Kabar River. There the Lord's power overcame him. As I watched, suddenly a driving storm came out of the north, a great cloud flashing fire with brightness all around. At its center, in the middle of the fire, there was something like gleaming amber, and inside that were forms of four living creatures. This was what they looked like. Each had the form of a human being, though each had four faces and four wings. Their feet looked like proper feet, but the soles of their feet were like calves' hooves, and they shone like burnished bronze. Human hands were under their wings on all four sides. All four creatures had faces and wings, and their wings touched each other's wings. When they moved, they each went straight ahead without turning. As for the form of their faces, each of the four had a human face with a lion's face on the right and a bull's face on the left and also an eagle's face. The pairs of wings that stretched out overhead touched each other while the other pairs covered their bodies. Each moved straight ahead wherever the wind propelled them. They moved without turning. Regarding the creature's forms, they looked like blazing coals, like torches. Fire darted about between the creatures and illuminated them, and lightning flashed from the fire. The creatures looked like lightning streaking back and forth. As I looked at the creatures, suddenly there was a wheel on the earth corresponding to all four faces of the creatures. The appearance and composition of the wheels were like sparkling topaz. There was one shape for all four of them as if one wheel were inside another. When they moved in any of the four directions, they moved without swerving. Their rims were tall and terrifying because all four of them were filled with eyes all around. When the creatures moved, the wheels moved next to them. Whenever the creatures rose above the earth, the wheels also rose up. Wherever the wind would appear to go, the wind would make them go there, too. The wheels rose up beside them because the spirit of the creatures was in the wheels. When they moved, the wheels moved. When they stood still, the wheels stood still. And when they rose above the earth, the wheels rose up along with them because the spirit of the creatures was in the wheels. The shape above the heads of the creatures was a dome. It was like glittering ice stretched out over their heads. Just below the dome, their outstretched wings touched each other. They each also had two wings to cover their bodies. Then I heard the sound of their wings when they moved forward. It was like the sound of mighty waters, like the sound of the Almighty, like the sound of tumult or the sound of an army camp. 
When they stood still, their wings came to rest. Then there was a sound from above the dome over their heads. They stood still, and their wings came to rest. Above the dome over their heads, there appeared something like lapis lazuli in the form of a throne. Above the form of the throne, there was a form that looked like a human being. Above what looked like his waist, I saw something like gleaming amber, something like fire enclosing it all around. Below what looked like his waist, I saw something that appeared to be fire. Its brightness shone all around. Just as a rainbow lights up a cloud on a rainy day, so its brightness shone all around. This was how the form of the Lord's glory appeared. When I saw it, I fell on my face. I heard the sound of someone speaking. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that boy had a pretty good three-week run here at Ebenezer Church, right? What was that? What was that? Well, it turns out there is an advanced theological term to describe the type of the type of prophetic reading we just heard. Uh, if you went to seminary, what your professors would call that type of reading is funky, <laughs> funky reading, right there. Um, and, and, and you're saying to yourselves, I don't even know what that means, how in the world can it apply to my life, but here, here's what I would say to you. By the end of our time together this morning, not only will what we just heard make sense, but it will make sense for what happened 2,500 years ago, and it's going to matter for our lives here today. That's a tall order, so let's pray. Gracious God, we invite you into this moment and ask that your presence and power would be here. I pray that you would, in spirit, that you would, your spirit would inhabit my words and the meditations of our heart. That all would be pleasing in your sight, for you are our fortress and our deliverer. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In order to explain and work through what we just heard from Ezekiel chapter 1, I'm, I'm going to need some help from you. Uh, I'm going to need two volunteers this morning, and now here's the deal. One, you've got to be able to stand up here on stage with me for just a couple minutes. And two, if you're wanted for some crime, you should not volunteer because this is all going on on the Internet. So I need two volunteers. I got any volunteers out here? There's one in the back. Thank you. Erica, come on up here. Yeah, that's great. Two, come on. Come on. That's great. Perfect. Perfect. Come right up here. All right. Yeah, one one behind this X and one behind that X. Great. What's your name? Trey. Trey? Rob, nice to meet you. All right. You ready? All right, cool. Eric, how's it going? It's going. I understand uh, that Major General Ortner just got home this week. Is that right? He is he here with you today? He is. Uh, back, back from the deployment? General, where are you? You out there? God bless you, man.
Welcome home, sir. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, you guys are going to, um, you're going to draw the vision we just saw. It's cool. It's cool. I got your back. So I'm just going to walk you through it. So on the right side of your, your thing here, big as you can, on the right side of your thing here, the first thing we saw, yeah, go grab your pen. First thing we saw is we saw four funky looking creatures. So on that right side, however you want to draw four crazy looking creatures, you got 30 seconds, go. So this man and woman went to the doctor together and uh, they're a husband and wife in the... The right side of the dry erase board. You got it. You, you good? Barely. Okay, so the the man, the woman, they go to the doctor together, and uh, the doctor examines the husband, and, and he comes back in the examination room, and he says, I, I need to speak with your wife for a moment alone. So the husband leaves, and he goes and waits in the car, and the doctor says, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, your husband is gravely ill. Um, and the, the threat of his death is, is a very real threat. And if you want to keep him alive, here's what you have to do. You have to meet every physical want that he has. When he wakes up in the morning, he's got to have a piping hot, scrumptious breakfast. When he gets home from his job, he has to have a meal fit for a king. You've got to meet every one of his desires. I mean, every one. The woman said, I got it. So she went out, got in the car. Her husband looked at her and said, baby, what did the doctor tell you? And the wife said, well... He told me you're going to die. <laughs> what are we doing over here? All right, all right, all right. That's great. That's great. That's great. Okay. So on this side, on the left side, the next thing that we see is Ezekiel tells us he saw a wheel within a wheel. So on the left side of the thing, right, right down here somewhere, right down here somewhere, a wheel within a wheel, however you would make that wheel within a wheel. Okay, and on top of the wheel, there was a dome. So you want to put a dome on top of the wheel. Alright, and the, a dome on top of the wheel. Excellent, perfect. And then on top of the dome, there was a throne. You guys are very detailed. I like that. All right. And on top of the throne, there was a dude. It was a what? A dude. Oh, person. <laughs> a being sitting on the throne. Sitting on the throne. Sitting on the throne. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the kicker. The being had the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So however you want to indicate that is great. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, now let's take a quick look here. Isn't that good? You got the beings over here, the wheel within a wheel. Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. Eric, you did great. You did perfect. And one more time, tell me your name. Trey. Trey. Look at this. Perfect. Perfect. Critters on this side. He's got the wheel within a wheel. He's got the throne on top of it. He's got the somebody looking like a, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Trey, you did perfect, man. All right, so so here's the thing. I would not ask you guys to put yourselves out there like this if I weren't willing to do it as well. So come here and take a look at the screens with me. So I did the same drawing 
Okay, this is, those are my four creatures. Okay? And then, uh, I had a wheel within a wheel. Okay? And then on top of the wheel is a dome. Okay? And on top of the dome, there's a throne. And then on top of the throne, there's this dude who has the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. But it makes Jesus look like he's hairy. That's not my intention. (laughs) But, Trey, let me ask you something. If you look at that, as crazy and freaky as the vision was, what is it you see there? Uh, I see a four-headed dog. uh, Behind it is pulling a cactus man. Okay. Four-headed dog carrying a cactus man, but what's he sitting on? A throne? Okay, okay. Erica, what do you see? Uh, Simplest terms possible, what do you see? The answer is chariot. Chariot? That's right. And if you look at what you guys drew, and you make a connection between your critters and your thing, you drew chariots too. So as crazy, as crazy, as crazy as that image was, what Ezekiel really saw was a divine chariot. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, would you give thanks to God for these wonderful people and their help up here? Trey, have you ever had coffee before? No. No? There's a Starbucks gift card. Mom, Dad, you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Great job. So when it comes down to it, As crazy and funky as this vision from Ezekiel chapter 1 was, when we plot it out, what we find is that uh, there is a a, a chariot. And and I spent a few more minutes on mine after I finished, and when I was finished, this is what it looked like. (laughs) This is is the, the vision that Ezekiel saw. He saw a divine chariot. And the question for us would be, okay... Why? What would necessitate such a vision? And that's a great question. In the year 587 BC, 500 years before Jesus Christ was born, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquers the city of Jerusalem. He absolutely decimates the city. He destroys it. Um, and he leads God's people off into captivity. If you look at the map, you can see on the west, on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea is the city of Jerusalem. Um, and once the people were taken into captivity in 587 by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, they followed that, that blue path called the Fertile Crescent. They followed that around down into what is modern-day Iraq and uh, the city of Babylon. We actually heard that Ezekiel's vision was on the banks of the river Kibar, um, which flows into the Euphrates, the southern of the two rivers there. Nebuchadnezzar invades the kingdom of Israel, He destroys the city. He leads the people off into captivity. And the other thing he does is he's so upset with the people of Israel that he commands that no stone be left on top of another stone in the temple. He destroys the temple. He levels the city. He carries God's people off into captivity. And he destroys the temple. And this throws the people of God into a theological crisis. Why would they be worried about the fact that the temple got destroyed? I mean, of course, you don't want your church to get destroyed, but why would they in particular be worried about the temple being destroyed? Who lived at the temple? God lived at the temple. So if if the temple gets destroyed, where's God? That is what Ezekiel's vision was all about. 
God's people were led into captivity. God's house had been destroyed. Where is our God? Ezekiel said, I know. I saw a vision. God is on God's divine chariot. And the image is, as God's people were led off into captivity, God says, I'm coming with you. I'm going with you, not only into the darkest moment of your life, but the darkest moment in the history of your nation. I'm going to walk right there beside you. We talked about this a little bit last week, but whenever we find ourselves imprisoned, anytime we find ourselves in the midst of a deep, dark valley, we can look at the cell next to us and we can guarantee that our God is going to be there. It's a beautiful sentiment that when God's people got captured and brought into captivity, God said, I will not let you suffer alone. I'm coming with you. And God proves it. See, there are all these, this rich literature that comes out of the Babylonian exile. One of the books that, that, like Ezekiel, describes events of the Babylonian exile is the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, who had conquered the city of Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar orders everybody in his kingdom to kneel down and pray to a false idol. And there were three boys that said, we're not going to do that. Anybody know their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not, going to, we're not going to bow down in front of your idol. And this made Nebuchadnezzar furious. He was hot. In fact, he was so hot, he said, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. That's how hot I am. And he ordered that the furnace be made seven times hotter than it normally is. In the Bible, in biblical numerology, seven is the number for complete what Nebuchadnezzar was making sure of is that the, the furnace was completely hot. And so Nebuchadnezzar has, has the men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, thrown in the fiery furnace. And it's so hot. It's completely hot. It's perfectly hot. It's so hot that the people who throw them, the poor schmucks that have to throw them in the fiery furnace, die. That's how hot it is. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks inside the fiery furnace and he says to his advisors, how many people did we put in there? And they said, three, your majesty. And he said, there are four. And then he said, and the fourth one has the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Some translations say he looks like the son of God. When God said to God's people in Ezekiel chapter one, I'm going with you into captivity, God meant it. God said, I'm going to be with you in the most difficult moment of your life. I'm going to be with you in the midst of your captivity. I'm going to be with with you when you get thrown into the fiery furnace. And that's not all. Also in the book of Daniel is a story about a guy named Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, still, Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, "Uh, you're only allowed to pray for me for 30 days. And Daniel says, I can't do that. And very publicly, Daniel prays to God. And so Nebuchadnezzar has him thrown into a lion's den the bible says the next morning nebuchadnezzar comes to the lion's den he cries out daniel daniel he looks down in the lion's den he sees daniel with an arm around each lion and he's singing hakuna matata what a wonderful all right that last part was my addition that's how it goes in my head pretty sure that's not exactly how it happened but what daniel said was king you have nothing to fear my god has protected me When God said to God's people, I'm going with you, God meant it. I'm going with you into the most difficult moments of your life. I'm going with you into captivity. I'll walk with you in the fiery furnace. I'll walk with you in the den of lions. I am going with you. And in and of itself, that is a beautiful idea. But 
It's really something else that blows my mind. Now, think about what Nebuchadnezzar did. He was the king of Babylon who conquers the holy city of Jerusalem, leads God's people off into slavery, destroys God's temple, throws three faithful young men into a fiery furnace, throws God's prophet Daniel into a lion's den. Now, if you had to wager, how do you think God felt towards Nebuchadnezzar? I imagine God was not happy with Nebuchadnezzar. Would you agree with that? Yes? Yeah, okay, good. Good, because I... I want you to read something that's in the book of Daniel. Would you bring that up for just a second? This is Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar as he was ordered to proclaim from God. So King, take my advice, make a clean break with your sins and start living for others. Quit your wicked life and look after the needs of the down and out and then you will continue to have a good life. What? Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem. He left no stone unturned from the temple. He led God's people into slavery. He threw people into fiery furnaces and the lion's den. And still, God commands Daniel to reach out to Nebuchadnezzar. That blows my mind. It's not the only time that happened. 200 years before the Babylonian exile, God's people are conquered by Assyria. The capital of Assyria was Nineveh. Do you remember the story about Jonah and the big fish? And some of you are saying, Jonah and the whale, you know, the Bible says it's a big fish. And anytime I say Jonah and the whale, some little sweet old lady comes up to me after worship and goes, you know, the Bible says a big fish. So I was called Jonah and the big fish. <laughs> Story of Jonah and the big fish. Jonah is ordered by God to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the country that had decimated, decimated his people. And God ordered Jonah to go there. And Jonah said, I'm not going. He jumped on a ship. He ran away. They threw him overboard. He got swallowed by a fish. He threw him up on land. He said, I guess I'm going to Nineveh. Here's the point. This crazy, funky vision in Ezekiel chapter 1, when we see God traveling into exile, we see a God on a mission. And so often we think that the mission is that God journeyed with the children of Israel into their exile, that God goes with you and me into the difficult moments of our lives, that God has shown up for those who are the oppressed. That's not just true. There's something else. God did not only come for the people who had been oppressed. God came for the oppressors too. That blows my mind. Even after Nebuchadnezzar had done everything Nebuchadnezzar did, God still wanted to save Nebuchadnezzar. Can you believe that? Even after King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria did everything he did, God still wanted to save King Tiglath-Pileser and all of his people. God does not come just for people who look like you and me and who act like you and me and who think like you and me. God came for everybody. I'm not, listen, I don't think that everyone is going to respond to God's gift of grace, but can we get behind the idea that God really does want to save everybody? Yes? Yes? You know how I know this is true? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if you need to know how that looks, look back to the story of Ezekiel and Daniel. Because even after Nebuchadnezzar persecuted my people, I still went in the desert and I sought him. What that means for us, 
What that means for us, Republicans, is that Jesus loves Democrats. What? Yes! Yes! Democrats, Jesus loves Republicans. No! Yes! Jesus loves people who look different than we do and who think differently than we do and who act differently than we do. God has come to save the entire world. The thing we learn about this this vision from Ezekiel, the thing we learn about God, and that's what this whole series, God in the Bleachers, has been about. It's about, really about learning from, about God. What we learn in this series is that our God is a God of mission. Our God is always, always, always on a mission. And here's the part that's really going to blow your mind. The vision from Ezekiel chapter 1 of the wheel within a wheel, the vision of the chariot, is a precursor to something that we will see 500 years later on the day of Pentecost. Where instead of God being inflamed in fire and going into the lives of one people who are in captivity and those who are, have captured them, what we find is, is God coming to inhabit God's people again in fire to go out to all the world. My point is to say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are the vessels that God uses to go and tell the whole world that they are loved, that they have a place to belong, that they have a mission. You and I are the vessels God employs to carry out God's mission. Said differently, you are that funky chariot. You and I, our job is to carry our missional God into the world. This is an incredibly important job. It's, it's definitive of who we are. Over the course of this series, we've talked about two very important ideas. Idea number one, the most important thing that any human being could know on this earth is that you are loved no matter what. Second thing we talked about last week is that you have a place to belong, and it's right here. Here's the third thing. You're loved no matter what. You belong no matter what. And you have a purpose. God hasn't just given us life. God has given us a reason to live it. Our God is a missional God and carries out that mission through you and through me. Well, what is my mission? I don't know. But when we talk about mission and calling, here's what I know. I know that almost always in my experience, I find my calling in my life at the convergence of my passion and my talent. The things I love to do and the things I'm good at doing, you look at there and there's probably a good chance that that's where God is calling us. But even if I don't know the specifics of my calling, and even if you don't know the specifics of your calling, here's what we can agree on. Every human being is loved. God wants every human being to know that. God wants every human being to know they have a place to belong. And God wants every human being to know that they have a mission. And until we know exactly what our individual callings are, we can start there. We can start by recognizing that we are God's beautiful and beloved children. That we have a place to belong. That we have a mission. And then we can recognize that part of our mission is to go out and help other people know that God loves them no matter what. And that they too have a place to belong. And that they have a mission. 
The most important people in my life, and I love you guys, but the most important people in my life are a five-year-old little boy and a three-year-old little girl named Brock and Parker. And if I get to teach them three things in the course of their lives, I want it to be these three things. I want them to know that they're loved no matter what. I want them to know that they belong. And I want them to know they have a purpose. I would say the same thing to every one of you. Not because it makes us feel good, but because it is in the Word of God. It's the story of Scripture. It's your story and mine. You are the funky chariot. My brothers and sisters, you are loved no matter what. You have a place to belong, and it's right here. And you have a mission. Part of it is to help other people know that they're loved and they belong too. Those are important things for humans to know about themselves. Next week, we're going to finish up this series, God the Bleachers. I hope we get a chance to see you for the final installment.